Good morning. I hope you're doing well. Welcome to uh, summer. <laughs> it finally hit us, didn't it? We've had this great prolonged spring. And all the people that went up north to get away from the heat, they've been burning up up there. So uh, we've had it real nice up until about yesterday. Uh, so glad that you're here this morning. My name's Todd. I'm the pastor. And uh, glad that you have chosen to uh, worship with us this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians. Now, we're going to be all over the place this morning. Uh, we are continuing in our series called The Sweet Life, but we're using Galatians 5 as kind of our springboard and uh, kind of our starting place to discuss the fruit of the Spirit. And so we're in this series for uh, most of the summer, and um, if you received, if you're part of Hilton Head Island Community Church and you received an email talking about a big announcement that we have today, um, we'll wait till the end of the service for that. So anyway, <laughs> I like messing with you. <laughs> uh, Galatians 5, Galatians 5, oh, that, was pretty, that was pretty mean. Uh, Galatians 5, Paul, the, uh, one of the uh, main authors of the New Testament, is speaking to a group of churches, you know, a lot of his letters are written to specific churches. This is a letter that's written to a group of churches in an area called Galatia, all right? Isn't that cool? All right, he reached on that one, didn't he? And uh, so he's writing to a group of churches in this region called Galatia, and he's writing to uh, a pretty much a group of, of smaller churches, but he's also writing to us and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to us today here in kind of the uh, New Testament age, all the way in 2012. And he penned these words, and he wrote this letter, talking about the different characteristics that we, as Christ followers, should exemplify in our lives. And I talked about from the beginning, like back all the way back in week one of this series, th uh, three weeks ago now, or four weeks ago, so we took a break for Father's Day last week. I talked about the fact that in terms of the fruit of the Spirit, these aren't things that you can just go out and wake up one day and go, I want to do these things. You know, today I just feel like, you know what, I want to love. I want to be the first fruit of the Spirit today. You just don't wake up and do it. It comes from a prolonged, uh, uh, abundant, uh, dynamic, vibrant uh, time with God in your own personal walk. Being a part of a vibrant church, being a part of, of talking to God and praying. We'll talk about prayer here in a little bit. It comes from knowing Him and it comes from developing your relationship with Him and developing your journey with Him. And so Paul pens these words talking about the different characteristics. And before we dive in, let's ask God to bless our time this morning. Father, thank you for allowing us to enter your room, allow, uh, allowing us to be a part of your church, your bride. And Father God, I pray today as we dive into your word and we take a look at the third fruit of the Spirit, peace. God, I pray that you would give peace to our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide and direct our minds Help us to put past the worries of the past week or perhaps the past 24 or 48 hours, God. And I pray that we would be able to focus on you and your word, your inspired word, and I pray that you would cause life change to happen deep within our hearts. Pierce us. Show light where we need to see light in our lives, God. And I pray that you would help us to change from the inside out based on your word and your working in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, and then verse 23, gentleness and self-control. I want you to read it out loud along with me here this time. I want this to really sink into your minds and sink into your hearts. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, and peace. And today we're going to be talking about this word, peace. And some of you are like, Todd, I'm glad we're talking about peace because the last week did not really, it wasn't really peaceful. It didn't represent peace in my life. And um, it, it's pretty interesting um, in all of human history, uh, peace has always eluded us, hasn't it? If peace is one of those things that we strive after. It's one of those things we go for. It's one of those things that we try to create in our lives. And in the course of human history, we've tried thousands of times to create peace. And it seems all for naught, doesn't it? It seems like it's all for nothing. It's interesting, uh, experts tell us that in the course of human history, only 8% of the total number of years in the course of human history have been peaceful years. Isn't that remarkable? 8% of all of the years of human history have actually been peaceful. You know, you begin to study history and you begin to study Western civilization and uh, all, the different, uh, all the different times. And, you know, you, you hear, I learned in high school and then again in college about one period of peace that existed, Pax Romana. You probably studied that. Some of you are, who are high school students, you just cringed. You're like, I don't want to hear that in the middle of the summer. Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, right? And Pax Romana lasted for uh, uh, right before the turn of the first century, all the way in well into the second century. 200 years of peace existed. But experts tell us that even during that time, there were wars, there were conflict, there was human suffering, there was retaliation and retribution. Even during Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, there were times that people were dying, there were times that people were fighting. And all throughout human history, we try to find a break from the chaos that exists. We try to find a break from the conflict that exists. And we have peace talks and we have peace treaties and we have peaceful conclusions. And if you take a look at the news and you look at the headlines of the news, it's remarkable how much humans are striving to have a break in the war. You know, most scholars, and along with different studies, if you read them, most scholars will tell you that we are living right now in this day and age in one of the most peaceful times in all of human history. That's a low bar, isn't it? That's a low bar. Peace eludes us. Peace eludes humanity. There's a different kind of peace that we strive for. Not just in humanity, not just a break from conflict, not just a break from wars, not just a break from fighting and crime, but we strive for peace in our own lives, don't we? We strive for tr tranquility. One of the definitions, it's a second common definition of peace, is freedom from disturbance, quiet, and tranquility. And if you have kids in your house, you don't even know what that means, do you? You have no clue what that means. In our modern history, we've developed marketing slogans around this whole idea of finding freedom from disturbance and tranquility. TWA, back in the days of TWA, their marketing slogan was up, up, and away with TWA. Some of you remember that? 
You can talk to me later about how that was. Okay, and then uh, there was Club Med. Club Meds is the antidote for civilization. I love that one. The antidote for civilization. Get me away from civilization. McDonald's. You deserve a break today. Okay, you deserve a break today. And then the most famous one is Calgon. Take me away. Okay, ladies, that's for the ladies. That's not for the guys. Uh, but Calgon, take me away. We're striving for peace, whether it's peace in humanity or whether it's peace in our own lives. We want a break. Think about vacation. We strive, and we work hard, and we toil, and we save up money, and part of our whole goal in life is one week or maybe two weeks, or if you're really lucky, three weeks a year, to take a break, to get away. And here we are in our community, in our hospitality-driven community in our vacation community, and we want to get out of here, don't we? We want to drive as far as we can away from here to get away from everything. I found recently in the past eight years that going on vacation is really no longer a vacation since we had kids. You're used to, uh, as, a, uh, uh, as a couple with just the two of us, get away, and it truly was finding that peace and tranquility. But peace is once again elusive, isn't it? It is difficult to find peace, yet we continue to strive and work and toil for peace. The word that the Apostle Paul uses, love, joy, and peace, it's a Greek word and it actually is driven directly from the Hebrew word for peace, which I know most of you know and you can say it all at once. It is shalom, shalom, one of the most famous words in all of the uh, Jewish language, in all of the Hebrew language. And shalom literally means it's a description of a time or a place or a condition that is peaceful and that is positive and that brings about righteousness or calmness or political or moral uprightness. And the Greek word, the Greek word that Paul chose to use was one that was very closely associated with the old Hebrew word shalom. And so that word shalom over the years has kind of mushroomed, and it means something very broad. It means something very big. But I want you to capture this. The original meaning of shalom, the original in the old language meaning of the word shalom was this. I want you to capture this. It meant to be complete. To be complete. Isn't that remarkable? That's a lot different than we think of that word peace, isn't it? We think of peace as, I want to get away. I want to, you know, up, up, and away. I, I want to get out of here. Call, call, call gun, take me away. Call gun, take me away. I want to remove myself from the, wor- from the world. But the original definition of the word that Paul used was to be complete. I think that's pretty remarkable. And it's quite a difference from what we think of as peace. And so today I want to approach having peace in our lives from the standpoint of three different aspects. We can have peace in three different areas. And I'll tell you this right out of the gates. If you don't have the first of these that we're going to talk about today, you absolutely cannot experience the other two. The first one must come first. These are scalable and they're buildable. Our key point this morning on your notes, a key ingredient of the sweet life is finding peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with other people. And so that's where we're going to start today. The first key ingredient is we must find peace with God. 
we must find peace with God. I want you to hear this. None of the rest of it works if you don't have that first piece of the puzzle in place. And be careful if you're a Christ follower in here because you might say, I'm good. I've got peace with God. I'm a Christ follower. Even those of you who are strong, mature, advanced Christians, even you sometimes struggle with peace with God. Sometimes even the most mature believer has a difficulty understanding who God is and what he can do in our lives. You cannot experience true peace in any other area of your life until you have peace with God the Father. I think there are a lot of different reasons why people don't have peace with God in general, just speaking broadly. But I want to talk about two different ones today. And the first one is that a person has a problem with God because they have a problem with this whole idea of sin. And you're like, man, Todd, I wish you hadn't gone there. It's what the Bible says. It's what the Bible says. It's the thing that keeps us from God. And if we, the Bible says, if we uh, uh, pray to God and if we ask for salvation, if we believe in our hearts that Jesus rose from the dead and confess with our mouth, John says, we can be saved. And if we ask forgiveness from our sins, we can have eternal peace with God. But sin always creeps back in, doesn't it? Sin always creeps back in. And so when sin creeps back in, you got to know one thing. You are saved if you've asked for forgiveness of your sins because God has forgiven your sins past, present, and future. But sin, even after you become a Christ follower, can creep back in and it can cause havoc. It can wreak havoc in terms of our peace with God, can it? It can cause all kind of problems. And we forget sometimes what the Apostle Paul told us in Romans 5.1. I want you to hear this this morning and read it with me. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see where ultimate peace comes from? It comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we allow those sins, when we allow those transgressions, when we allow those little things that we justify to creep back in our lives, all of a sudden, not ultimate peace anymore because once you're saved, you're always saved. But you allow those little things to come into your life and all of a sudden, that peace that you once had with God begins to break up again. And Paul says that we can be justified through faith. We can have peace with God because of what Christ did on the cross. I love Matthew Henry. He's one of my favorite theologians. And he says this. I love this. It is, it is sin that breeds the quarrel between us and God. Don't you love how that's read? Don't you love how that's written? The quarrel between us and God. It creates not only strangeness, but enmity. The holy, righteous God cannot in honor be at peace with a sinner while he continues under the guilt of sin. Justification takes away the guilt and so makes way for peace. It makes way for peace. You see, God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. And in doing so, he justified our lives. He made our lives righteous because of what he did 
on the cross. And so not only can we have salvation, but we can have a perfect peace with God. You see, at the root of our peace problem with God, nine times out of ten, is sin. Nine times out of ten, it's sin. And it's why the Old Testament prophet Isaiah calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. He was the one who brought peace into the world. He was the one who heralded peace to humanity, peace to humankind. And Isaiah describes how the peace of God works, and I think it drives at a second reason that maybe some of you might aren't not, maybe you're not experiencing peace with God. And he says this in Isaiah 66, verse 12, for this is what the Lord says, I will extend peace to her, speaking of Jerusalem, speaking of humankind, really, like a river, and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You see, we can have a peace with God if we understand who he is and what he's done in our lives. He gives us the opportunity to overcome sin, not because of our power, but because of what he did on the cross and through his resurrection. And so some of you are in here today, and maybe you've never come to the conclusion. Maybe you've never come to that point where you've asked Christ to be your Savior. You can make that decision today. You can become a Christ follower and have eternal peace with God. But for those of you who are Christ followers in here, you might have trouble with your identity in God. And that is, is that you are a child of His. And you can have that peace like a river that Isaiah talks about. Sin causes us to be at war with God, but when we accept that salvation, when we accept that salvation, and we understand what he did in our lives, he can offer us spiritual calm and spiritual peace in our lives. So my question for you this morning is what destructive habit or what wrong view of God is preventing you from finding peace with him? What habit Maybe what sin, what transgression, or what wrong view of God may be causing you or preventing you from experiencing peace with him. What's in your life that you need to rid of your life to get back to that place where you experience peace with God? The next ingredient to finding peace is this. We must find peace with ourselves. Some of you are like, Todd, that right there, that's impossible. I get finding peace with God, but I can't get peace with myself. I understand where you're coming from. It's a very troubling thing to figure out. You know, trouble can find us in an instant, can't it? It can find us in an instant. Problems crop up, whether we bring the trouble and problems on ourselves or whether it's forced upon us. Our lives can go from being peaceful in one moment to chaotic the next, can't it? I mean, it can go from being completely secure and peaceful and calm, and you know exactly what the future holds or you think you do, and then all of a sudden, trouble comes, and all of a sudden, trouble breaks peace, and it breaks peace with yourself. And so what we do is we begin to strive after different things. And some of you in here, you're striving after things that are destructive to bring peace into your lives. Maybe you're just striving after alcohol or drugs or other things, destructive relationships to fix those problems, and you seek those destructive things out first before turning to God, the one that can bring peace 
back in your lives. And we strive sometimes after those things that are destructive. But you know what's interesting? As humans, we don't just strive after things that are destructive first. Sometimes we strive after things that the world tells us to strive after that are not destructive. They actually help. But we seek after those things first. We seek out a book or we seek out some counsel, all of which are good. We seek out a good friend. Hey, the Bible tells us to do that, right? Seek wise counsel. Proverbs says that in uh, wise counsel, there is safety. I love that verse. And so we seek after those types of things, a friend that has uh, experience, somebody that uh, can help us through the trouble that we are facing. We might even seek after what the doctor tells us to do. But the problem is, is we even seek after those things that are good. We seek after them first instead of seeking after God first. He's the one that can bring ultimate peace into our lives. We've got to realize that God is the one that can be in control in every situation. He's the one who is in control of all things. John 16, 33, I love this verse. Take this verse to heart if you're going through a period of trouble right now. Listen to the words of Jesus here. I have told you these things, Jesus says, so that in me you may have peace. I want you to say the in me part with me, okay? I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus gives us the prescription from bringing peace into our anxiety, for bringing peace into our troubled world. He wants us to seek him out first. He wants us to seek him out first. He wants us to strive first for God instead of striving for what is destructive or even helpful. He wants us to strive for what is healthy and what is the best, and that is striving for relief in God. So what happens when we have some things that interrupt the peace in our lives? Well, Philippians gives us an indication of what we should do. Philippians, I love this. Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Here's the prescription, by the way. This is what we should do. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, if he had just left there, if Paul had just left there, it would have been like, thanks, Paul. Appreciate that. Don't be anxious. That's like the person that comes up. Don't worry about it. You're like, boy, that's really helpful. Thank you very much. But Paul goes on and he says, don't be anxious about everything, but in, about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. But in everything by prayer and petition And with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And he goes on in verse 7, and he says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's the prescription. There's the prescription for troubled times. There's the first prescription for anxiety. Yeah, your doctor may give you a prescription. Your your counselor may tell you to do certain things, and that's all great. Those are good things. There may be a very good book. There may be a Christian book that tells you to do certain things. But first and foremost, we ought to find safety in Christ. And it says, don't be anxious 
about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Prayer plus petition plus presentation equals peace when we have anxiety, when we have worry, and when we have troubled times. God wants you to talk to him, and here's how this translates. Here's how this flows. He wants you to talk to him. That's prayer. He, he wants you to uh, talk to him over and over again. That's petition. And then he says, with thanksgiving, present. And I believe that what Paul is talking about there is being detailed about your worries. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to talk to him over and over again. And he wants you to be specific about the worries and the troubles that you're facing. I want you to hear me. He is listening. Are you with me this morning? He's listening. He wants to hear your troubles. He wants to hear your anxiety. Look at 1 Peter 5, 7 through 9. Peter's, uh, 1 Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Another translation says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. But I want you to understand this. Having peace with yourself it means going to God. It means relying on him. It means taking your cares and your anxiety him, anxiety to him. But there's one thing that we can do, and Paul talks about it in Ephesians. There's one thing that we can do to be proactive, to, to uh, 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 get ahead of the trouble in our lives. And I want to read this passage because this is the thing that we can do to protect ourselves and be prepared when there's future trouble. And it comes from Ephesians 6. 10 through 18, again, Paul speaking to the church of Ephesus, and he says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, I want you to hear this. If you're going through trouble right now, your struggle is not against flesh and blood, he says, it's not against flesh and blood, but it is against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. The conflict that you're having with another person is spiritual in nature. The financial troubles that you're having, yeah, you may have brought some on yourself like I did a number of years ago, but largely those things that are upon you are spiritual in nature. The situations that you're dealing with with your children, they're spiritual in nature. And it doesn't mean that we throw up our hands and give up and do nothing. But you know what it means? It means we must put on the full armor of God. Christ follower, we have to be prepared for the fight, don't we? We have to go into the fight ready to go to battle. And this is what it says. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you've done everything to stand. Verse 14 Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. I want you to capture this. Verse 18, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kind of prayers 
and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Now, that's a passage of scripture that ought to be a whole sermon series, and we might do that at some point in time. But essentially, what Paul is telling us there is be committed to faith, be committed to truth and righteousness and the gospel, and be committed to salvation, but also be committed to prayer. Be committed to prayer. And so the next question I want to ask you this morning is, do I look to myself first or God first to overcome fear and anxiety? Listen, the world is going to give you good advice. There are doctors that will give you great advice. There are counselors that will give you great advice. But Christ follower, I want you to hear this this morning. If you're troubled in your soul, if you're troubled with yourself, if you feel like there's conflict within, seek him out first. And then seek the counsel of doctors and counselors and books and good advice. Seek him out first. There's a third thing that we must have, and that is, is we must find peace with others. It would have been nice to end the sermon right before this one, okay? <laughs> but we must find peace with others. My uh, favorite pastor is Andy Stanley, and he says this about peace and conflict and stress in a relationship. And he says it in, um, in the context of uh, work and, and business environment, but it can be translated uh, all throughout. He says, sometimes there's a problem to be solved. Sometimes when there's conflict between you and another person, there's a problem to be solved. But often there's a tension that needs to be managed. And that quote right there, sometimes there's a problem to be solved something that has to be dealt with, but sometimes there's just a tension to be managed. That little quote there, that little one-liner has helped me to have discernment on what types of things need to be confronted and what types of things I just maybe need to develop some thick skin about. You know what I mean? It's a great quote. It's true. And so some of you today, in terms of your peace, when peace is broken with another person, filter it through. Is this a problem to be solved or a tension to be managed. Not everything that comes your way is something to fight for and about. But every relationship, every relationship has a time when the peace of that relationship is tested. Am I right? Honeymoons end, don't they, married folks in here? Honeymoons come to an end. You have children and they grow up and they begin to speak words. And then they begin to talk back. And all of a sudden, peace ends in a household, doesn't it, parents? Church members, you have times when it's difficult to have peace, and peace is tested with parental relationships, with sibling relationships. Every relationship that exists is going to have a time when peace is tested. When peace is tested. I remember growing up with my sister, She's three years younger than me, and I knew every button she had, and I pushed them all the time, all the time. And she'd go in a room, and she'd get a purse, and growing up, I, I know I got this great height, but there was a period of time when she was taller than me, and she used to take her purse and throw it across my head, and every time I pushed her buttons, that's what she would do. And my kids are eight and five. They have the same difference between them, same age difference between them, and we watch it. We watch it begin to ramp up. And so in our house, we have a rule that is violated quite often, but we enforce the rule. And the rule is this, no arguing, no fighting, and no tattletaling. And Cynthia has added to this rule recently, and I love it. 
She says, if you come and you tattletale, both of you are in trouble. <laughs> and that has uh, pushed the, uh, pushed the uh, tattletaling incidents in our house down to about 80%. But I'll tell you what my... <laughs> I'll tell you what my wife has taught me. Uh, my wife has taught me in this is that we as humans have to learn how to manage conflict. We have to learn what it means to bring peace into a situation where there's conflict. We have to learn what it means to have peace. And so she's led me well on this to let the kids work it out. I was struggling with this this morning. To let them work it out because at some point in time, we as humans, we have to figure out how to bring peace into a relationship, don't we? Take a look at Romans 12, 18 and 19. Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with whom? Everyone. Live at peace with everyone. And verse 19 says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. You know what the important words are in that verse? It's as far as it depends on you. That's the important part of that verse. And I'll often have a couple maybe who's married or a conflict that comes to my office and I'm providing counsel. And I'll say, what are you doing to bring peace into the relationship? And then I'll look at the other person and I'll say, what are you doing to bring peace into that relationship? And we have to get to the point where we realize that when there's conflict in our relationships, it all depends upon me to bring peace into that relationship. Now, does that mean that we always cave in? No. We have to stand on values. We have to stand on what God's word says. And sometimes there are problems to be solved. But what it means is that if we each individually in whatever relationship we're involved in, if we each individually will insert or strive to insert peace into that situation, then those problems can get solved and that tension can be managed. Jesus promises us something. He promises the peacemakers that they will be blessed, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. What are you doing to bring peace into your relationships? And then we'll end with this question. What do, I, do I bring strife or peace to my relationships with others? Peace with God, peace with yourself, and peace with others. When we strive for those things, then we can have that sweet life of love and joy and peace. There's an old hymn. It's called, It Is Well With My Soul. It uh, becomes closest to those who are undergoing grief and strife. And the lyrics were penned by a Presbyterian lawyer, Horatio Spafford. And it was composed, the music was composed by Philip Bliss. It's a deeply touching song. Many of you know it. Among the scripture references that Spafford pulled from were the passage that we read in Isaiah 66 and Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. You may have heard how this hymn was written. Maybe you haven't. I'll tell you this morning. Spafford, he was born on October 20th, 1828 in North Troy, New York. He was a successful lawyer in Chicago. He maintained a keen interest in Christian activities, deeply spiritual man, committed to his church and devoted to the scriptures. 
Well, sometime in 1871, a fire in Chicago heavily, heavily devastated the city. And months before that, Spafford had invested, had made a massive investment in real estate there off the shores of Lake Michigan. The disaster greatly wiped out all of his holdings. And a month, uh, a month before that, just a month before that, he and his wife experienced the loss of their only son. Two years after the fire, Horatio Spafford planned a trip to Europe for he and his family. He wanted to rest from his, for his wife and for his four daughters, and he wanted to also go over to Great Britain to assist Dwight Moody in one of his evangelistic campaigns. He wasn't meant to travel with the family, though. He, in the moments before, in the days before November, when they were due to depart, he had a last-minute business transaction that kept him behind in Chicago. But nevertheless, he sent his wife and his four daughters to travel on a ship, expecting to follow them in a few days. Well, on November 22nd, 1873, the ship that was carrying his wife and his four daughters was struck by another ship, an English vessel, and it sank in a few minutes. It sank in just a matter of minutes. minutes. After the survivors were finally landed somewhere at Cardiff in Wales, Spafford's wife cabled her husband with two simple words, saved alone. His four daughters lost their life. Shortly after, Spafford left by ship on his way to his beloved Four daughters had drowned, and as he crossed over the place where they had drowned, he penned the words to this hymn. It's the most poignant text that so significantly describes his own personal grief, but his trust in times of trouble. It is well with my soul. Philip Bliss, the hymn composer, he was a prolific writer of songs, and he was so impressed with the experiencing expressions of Spafford's text that he very quickly wrote the music for it. And shortly after writing it as well with my soul, Bliss died in a tragic train accident. It is well with my soul. No matter what you're going through, we've got to put our trust in God. We've got to put our trust in him and his son and what he has done on the cross for us. And so I hope today that you can say, like Horatio Spafford said, in the midst of his greatest crisis, In the midst of his greatest loss, it is well with my soul. Don't fight God's working in your life. Don't resist his peace. Dwell on his spiritual blessings, and then you'll be able to say, during the darkest times, like Horatio Spafford said, it is well with my soul. Father God, help us this morning to be able to say that. Help us to be able to have that characteristic of peace that Paul talked about. Help us, Father, to have that ability to overcome through your power, not on our own and not by what the world says, but by seeking you out. Father, may we strive for peace in our lives. And God, I pray for those who walked in here today and they are troubled. Maybe it's by a relationship. Maybe it's by finances. Maybe it's by that thing that's keeping them from having peace with God, a sin in their life. God, maybe it's a tragedy that's come upon them in recent years. And God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would give them peace today so that when they're going through those dark days, they can, like Horatio Spafford wrote, they can say, it is well with my soul.